G'day and thanks for joining us for another Australia Talks podcast, the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. I'm DK and I'm joined as always by my lovely co-host RD. Today is Tuesday the 4th of July and our topics this week are the COVID-19 habits we thought that would stick, but they didn't. And Territory Day lights up the sky with fireworks in the NT, so why can't we do that too? And of course, we have our Two Ticks Town Talk. Then we'll jump into this week in Australian history with our deed and finish off, as always, with the Forex bottle top question. But before we get into all of that, we wanted to say hola, como estas, to our listeners in Spain. And we also need to say to our American listeners, happy 4th of July, be safe and don't play with fireworks whilst you're drinking. This is a little bit of foreshadowing for our second topic today. But again, before we get too much into everything, Adit, how are you today? What's new in your world? Hola, DK. <laughs> you had a much better Spanish accent than I did. What's new? I actually was playing pickleball today. It's something that I I started uh, a few months ago. Uh, hadn't heard of it before. Wife suggested it, and uh, she sort of waxed and waned a little bit on it. But I must admit, I've enjoyed playing it it's it's a great game i don't know if you know about it at all no i've never heard of it before does it involve pickles or gherkins of some sort (laughs) well close uh actually not close at all no what it is is apparently it started something like the i think was something like the 50s or that in the the u.s uh you're Roughly playing it, you're playing it on a badminton court, which is roughly the size of a tennis, half a tennis court. Um, in fact, the centre where we play, they're on, uh, they're on uh, the the tennis courts there, and you're using it's it's a tennis style of game in that you're serving and hitting it back and forth over the net. But the critical differences are the size of the court. The bat that you're using, which they call a paddle, is a hard bat similar to a table tennis bat, but uh, bigger than that and slightly different shape. But it's a hard surface. And the ball that you're using is like a, a wiffle ball. It's a hard plastic ball with holes in, which means uh-huh. there yeah, which means there's air resistance. Now you can still get spin. You can still uh, when you know if someone's sort of popped it up to you, you can still slam it down and get uh, a bit of speed on it. But the essence of the game is a bit more concentrated on the fun side and the rally side. Now, look, you have professionals, you can get very serious. There's like any, like anything, humans can take it to take it to limits that the original designers didn't expect and do all sorts of fancy things. But at the introductory level that I'm playing at and even um, you know a little bit above that the main aim is to uh, emphasize the enjoyment on it and it it covers quite a, a wide range of, of skill sets and part of that too is the rules for example with the serving uh, you're having to serve 
underarm and you can't uh, it can't be above your hip, I think is if I've got the rule correctly there, which means uh, you don't have this tennis style of thing where you've got these rocket serves that no one can get back. So as I said, you can still spin it, you can still do different stuff with it, but it makes it a bit more achievable. You've also got a distance, which I think is similar to badminton from the net. There's an area where you can't stand in there and volley, which means you can't have somebody up at the net smashing balls back at you. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is a good rule. <laughs> well, look, I, I think it's a good rule. So it's it's if table tennis is tiny, tiny tennis, this is somewhere in between. Uh Table yeah. tennis and regular tennis. So it's on on a like a quarter court, or do you say a half court? Looks probably probably closer to a half court. I, I might I might be off on on there, but uh, it's it's around about that that half court. So you know, if you cut a tennis court in half and then played across it rather than uh, than over it, and it's it's rules are done. It's rules are done in such a way. And for example, too, you do a serve. The ball has to has to bounce for your return, and then on the return it also has to bounce, and then you can start volleying if you if you're in the right position. So there's there's a number of those elements that I don't know what you your opinion of tennis is, but there's a number of those elements of tennis that when you're sort of playing a good player, they can just dominate you on in so many in in a number of those areas. And to me, the fun really sort of goes out of there. Whereas this one, yeah, because yeah, it wasn't that long ago, a couple of months ago that I was a beginner on this, I could still play with good players and, you know, I'd still lose, but I'd get a few things in and I'd have a bit of a go and you'd have rallies back and forth. And that's the, that's the thing. It's funny. Everyone seems, it doesn't matter who wins or loses, everyone gets excited about a game that has got a whole lot of rallies back and forth. Uh, that seems to be the, the the big fun part of it uh, that you can just sort of get the the point going and it's it's the enjoyable the enjoyable the enjoyable part of it. So look, it's it's been a fun game. People are friendly. It's uh, easy to pick up, and you know you you get you still get a sweat up. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's it's a really interesting uh, activity. In and I'm not, I'm not much of a sports person. Uh, but I'm surprised how much I've enjoyed it. That's cool. It, it sounds like it's they've boiled because I, I would imagine it, it's not as fast paced as tennis because that's that's where the skill curve I think in tennis really makes a big difference is with that how how quickly you can hit the ball and how fast paced it can be between mm. say like a beginner and and someone that's really experienced and that's where it can really ruin the fun you know if you're if you're playing someone that's really good in tennis it, it, it's not that fun because they just dominate you um and i think it's it's the speed is really where it, what it comes down to whereas yeah. with um by the sounds of it with this because it's got um the holes in the ball it kind of slows everything down a bit more and, and but you don't lose that enjoyment of like you said the rallies and the you know the big back and forths and the 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 edge of your seat who's gonna win type situation yep. um isn't necessarily lost i used to play a lot of volleyball when i was younger um oh, and yeah, i was quite yep. i was quite good at it actually like beach volleyball 
and it was so much fun. But but again, you'd get a good team versus like a brand new team or a team that hadn't played together, and it, yeah, it would be very one sided. Um, which you know sometimes that's the fun of it. <laughs> well, look, that's true. Look, look and I'm. I'm not, I'm not saying that you know, if there was two beginners against two experienced people, that the beginners would would win. You'd, you'd enjoy a couple of uh, a couple of points, but uh, yeah, the experience does. Uh, the experience matters a lot. Uh, mm. There's a lot more. I suppose there's a lot more emphasis on where you place it. You know, you can you can certainly give the ball a good whack if you've got the right um, in the right position. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of placement there, so it's yeah, it just it's there's a lot of equalising to it. But yeah, I just in, I enjoy the I enjoy that aspect of it. No, that's cool. Yeah, what, I what uh, yeah. So I go. What have you been up to? I uh, last week I went camping, as listeners from last week's show will remember, uh, and we had a great time. Uh, took some fantastic photos for our post your environment Monday. Um, though yesterday I was so busy that I actually didn't get a chance to upload one. So I apologize for that. Uh, and we, so took the suns out, had the swags and everything like that. I was so busy getting them organized and all of their, all of their gear, that I forgot to take a sleeping bag with me, oh. which, which, oh. you know, you got the swags. It's not you're not you're not exactly out in the cold. However, oh. as we were, you were sort of making fun of me last week that it was going to be quote unquote Queensland cold. Oh. It um, <laughs> it wasn't. The temperature dropped down to a very very brisk. Four degrees Celsius. Oh, okay, that's cold. Yeah, so um, that's thirty-nine degrees Fahrenheit for our American listeners. So it was very cold. <laughs> I was freezing cold. So what did uh, you do? Well, I the boys, uh, my wife before the boys left, my wife threw in a. A, a blanket for them that you know it, it, it's the sort of blanket you would buy to to have like on your couch when you're watching tv inside the house to warm you up it's yeah. very thin it was it's you know better than nothing i'll take it but one it's not very big and two it wasn't very thick um so i had that and i put on all my clothes i didn't even take any long pants because I didn't need long pants. I'm going to the beach, so I've got uh, board shorts on and uh, a T-shirt. Now, I had a jumper, thankfully, so I put that on, and I sat around the fire and had the fire cranked up full of wood, so it was really hot. So my legs were, like, red because they were so hot and uh, ran to my swag, jumped in, and uh, tried to get some sleep. I didn't get a lot of sleep. I spent most of the night shivering uh, and I got a little bit of sleep, but not a lot. And um, oh, I also drank, a, a, you know, a, a, a very large quantity of rum, let's just say, <laughs> to, try and, <laughs> to try and take the, uh, the chill away. The rum blanket on. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that was a good thing. But anyway, um, woke up in the morning and it was about... 5.30 and the sun was coming up and got some pictures of the sun rising over the ocean. So that was beautiful. Uh, and then very quickly made another fire 
uh, until everyone started started to wake up probably an hour or so later. Uh, and that it was it was yeah it was very cold. It's it's not often in Queensland that we get a morning where you can see your breath. Uh, in the morning, especially once the sun's up, you normally don't get that too often. And uh, it was up until I think until about ten o'clock. It was exceptionally cold that morning, and it didn't really warm up until about ten, eleven o'clock, sort of as the sun got a lot higher in the sky. Um, and by that point, we were all warmed up enough to sort of pack up camp and and come home. So it was oh. a great trip. Very cold, unprepared for the cold, uh, which I'm normally not, but this time was a bit silly. So I blame the boys. I blame getting them ready. They were, they were fine. The boys had their, their sleeping bags and yeah. warm clothes and jammies and all that kind of stuff. So I'd got them ready and I had forgotten about myself, basically. Well, um, you look, you do have my, you don't have my sympathy then on that. That's... Um that's not much fun, and that's also not a fun temperature. Oh, no. No, it was very cold. Um, but the good thing was the boys loved the swags. Uh, they said that they are really keen to um, to go on another camping trip in the swags, which is really cool um, because that's really easy for us to just kind of throw them in the back of the car and go. We don't need to necessarily take a lot of stuff. So, um, And I can pack everything uh, in the back of, of the tub of the ute. So that makes it really easy to just, whereas normally when we go camping, we have a camper trailer and it's a bit more effort to sort of organize everything and mm. pack that all up and hook it up and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so that was their first go in the swags. Yeah. And they both really uh, liked it. My, uh, okay, my, okay. my older son. Um, so, so I have a double swag and a single swag, uh, the single swag, uh, as we joked last week, kind of looks a bit like a coffin. It is very small. Um, then again, it is only, you know, uh, meant to fit one person in it. Um, and it is very comfortable once you're inside. It's just not very big. Whereas the double swag is designed for, it's basically the size of a double bed. So it's designed for two people, two adults to sleep in it, which two adults, you, you know, you better be pretty friendly with the person you're sleeping with because um, it is a bit squishy for two adults. But for two kids, it's heaps of room. Um and they had a great time, so oh, that's excellent. that's what that's what matters, really. Yeah, look, it 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 does have a great time. We've got the memory of it. Uh, you got a bit of a funny story about it. I got to be highly amused at your suffering. You know, that's a win all round. <laughs> that's it. That's it's a win for everyone. <laughs> and speaking of people suffering. Yeah. Did you know that Australia is in the midst of its seventh wave of COVID-19? As of last Friday, there were more than 1,800 people hospitalised with COVID-19 across the country. Uh, as of last Friday, which was June 30th, Victoria had recorded 2,560 new cases of COVID-19. However, that's actually good news. It's down from the previous week's total of 3,425. Queensland fared a lot better, having recorded 369 average daily cases, down from 453 the previous week. But let's be honest, most of us seemingly don't care, or we're sick of hearing about it. I hear you listening, groaning. Uh, 
<laughs> the ABC News uh, team interviewed a bunch of people on the streets of Melbourne, which was Australia's worst hit city by the COVID-19 pandemic, just to get everyday people's feelings. Atara candidly admitted that she no longer wore a mask. Her response was typical of those who had stopped to speak to the ABC. Their rationales were revealing. She said, no one's really wearing it on the train, so I just stopped as well. And I feel like I'm not seeing much of it on the news and things like that. I've just kind of forgotten about it. A high school student, Jackson, agreed. I feel like it's gone away a lot more. 74-year-old former police officer, Chris, who was visiting from Western Australia, simply asserted that the mask was, quote-unquote, not necessary. Do we wear a mask for everything? When somebody coughs, somebody sneezes, what the hell, he said. Hopping off the tram without her mask, Yvonne summed it up simply. I think we're over the whole pandemic thing, she said. There are some COVID habits that many experts believe we can relatively safely let go. Like if you're not using hand sanitizer or washing your hands for 20 seconds. Experts aren't too fussed about it, at least when it comes to the COVID risk. Those measures were a waste of time. Uh, oh, sorry. Those, <laughs> those <laughs> were, that's a Freudian slip, isn't it? Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> those, measures, <laughs> those measures were of a time now past when we didn't know the virus was airborne. Although, of course, washing your hands is still highly recommended as a basic hygiene tool. I'd also like to say, if you are somewhere and there is hand sanitizer, you may as well use it. Why not? Clean your hands. Don't be gross. Um, But while the data is still being collated, experts are... So convinced we've forgotten about our protective habits, including testing and reporting, that some models have suggested that the number of COVID-19 infections is up to three times more than currently reported. They're also worried that we've failed to form new protective habits. For instance, are you checking out the air filtration measures at your local pub? Probably not. I'm not. I don't even know if my pub does have those things. You're kidding me. Three. You, don't, you don't do that. No. Why would I? No way. Sit near a window. Three oh, epidemiologists <laughs> have told the ABC that would be the sort of good habit that we should have picked up if we learned anything from the pandemic. Epidemiologist, oh, I can't even say this word. Ep- epidemiologist. Yeah, epidemiologist Nancy Baxter, who heads up the University of Melbourne School of Population and Global Health, said industry and government needed to do more to make workplaces and public spaces safer. She said, we are unwilling to do active things to prevent transmission. So there needs to be a focus on passive things that can protect us. The bonus is that this will help with transmission of all airborne diseases. This needs to be a focus of occupational health and safety, and standards need to be set and enforced. However, University of Melbourne professor Tony Blakely said that public health authorities and politicians were facing a conundrum. On one hand, the population is tired of COVID. Public health authorities need to work out the pros and cons of pushing new messaging now versus saving up stock of 
quote-unquote emergency response for when something takes off again, he said. On the other hand, COVID-19 is now moving to endemic and a health risk similar to influenza. The targeted messaging, at least to the elderly, frail and the immunocompromised, is to keep up to date with vaccines and mask up when people when with people outside the home. It is important. But he did say getting the balance right is really tricky. And I think that really sums it up nicely. Trying to get that balance right of, you know, almost the boy who cried wolf style of um we all get a bit fatigued. And I think, you know, as those people that were interviewed by the ABC have kind of basically, you know, agreed that most people are a bit a bit sick of this. Um, most people don't want to wear a mask all the time. Whether that's a bad thing or a good thing, I'm not going to I'm not going to make judgment. It, ultimately, like if you're sick and you're wearing a mask, it's probably a good thing. There are a lot of countries mm-hmm. that do this. Um, Japan famously does this. Um However, that's not really in our culture. It's not how we do things in this country, and I don't know that we ever really will. Um, and unfortunately, obviously, COVID nineteen hasn't gone away. It's still very much with us, uh, as we've seen that we're in our seventh wave of COVID nineteen, with some reasonably large numbers of average daily cases uh, over the last few weeks. And anecdotally, a friend of mine is an ambulance officer in. Melbourne, uh, just outside the CBD, and he said he responds to a huge amount of COVID cases uh, over the last 12 months. He said it's never gone away. It's still with us. Um, and what, what do you mean he responds to a huge amount of COVID cases? He's, an ambulance is getting sent out for somebody with COVID or somebody yep. who has something else and also has COVID? No, ambulances, well, both. So ambulances being sent out for people that have COVID that haven't gone to, you know, are are not thinking that it's anything serious or have not gone to early uh, medical care and they're effectively needing to be ventilated at, at the point where someone's calling an ambulance. So he comes into contact with a lot of COVID people that are COVID positive uh, and need to go to hospital for treatment. Um, and then at the same time, he also sees a lot of elderly patients uh, that are, the ambulance is called for a different reason. They do a COVID test and it turns out they're also COVID positive. So there's a lot of that going around. I mean, I think a lot of us have just kind of forgotten about it because the government, you know, the the daily press conferences and that are gone. And I think most people just want to move on with their lives. Um, but of course the reality is it's, it's, it's still very much here with us. Well, look, I suppose that's true. Um, I'm semi-biting my tongue on a lot of my COVID uh, opinions uh, for, for this, so we'll, we'll keep we'll keep it we'll keep it bitten a little little bit. I thought in that article that you were talking about where uh, that lady and uh, what's her name. Atara, um, and that was that was from that an, an ABC article by Mary Gearan, um, just yep. to give her credit for for that. When she, the thing that stuck out to me from that was that she said, "I just sort of forgot about it." I got to say, it boggles my mind in some ways to hear that. Um, 
but that's the reality of us as the, the reality of people as a generalization that we do move on to the next thing we've got over that the thing subsides look for me much of what happened was un- is unforgivable um for other people it's it's unforgettable and i also think too there's people in a sort of stockholm situation that uh just have an attachment to what it was done understandably because it was just such a significant um change in life uh, you know there there was all the, the there was all the the elements of, of 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 fear and adrenaline and everything everything packed into it so i can understand some be- people being surprised but i think that uh statement i just sort of forgot about it is probably going to apply to a lot of people and I think it's good to move on. There's a limit to how much you can be on red alert all the time. Um, there's been other things we've we've had where uh, government has sort of tried to keep us up on the edge for too long, and I think it's a failing tactic. Uh, it was interesting that Tomic to- in that uh, that article they were talking about keeping things in reserve for when. They didn't say if, but they said when another thing happens. Um, so not saying that in a conspiratorial sense, but it's just a it's just a funny. Uh, it, it was an interesting choice of uh, interesting choice of, of phrase. I also thought it was interesting hearing from some of those experts that you know there's the yeah it's still the recommendation for the the messages I understood it. There's still the recommendation for washing your your hands, um, using some hand sanitizer. However, there was the comment in there of if you're not using sanitizer or washing your hands for 20 seconds, experts aren't too fussed, at least when it comes to COVID. And it was odd to me to see what was such a, once a, a cornerstone just dismissed so so casually. Uh, well, it doesn't make yeah. any difference now. That's why, because it's airborne. So... You know, obviously, washing yes. your hands is a good idea, but ultimately, it's not not necessarily going to save you uh, if you're not wearing a mask. Um, <laughs> it's not going to, you know, it's probably going to go straight straight up your nose or, or straight down your throat, as opposed to uh, on your on your hands or something that you've touched. So, assuming your mask is is decent and fit it yeah there's there's so many there's so many so variables. many variables and, and yeah, as, you, exactly. as you said this is that we're, we're discussing uh whether the gloss is wearing off COVID, not um not the nitty-gritty of some of those things about how it was handled which i don't know if we'll have that conversation another another day but that's not the the one for it so yeah look i do i do understand what you're saying but it's it it was such it was such a there were signs everywhere yeah this is how you wash your hands this is what you should be doing like everywhere you step that there was even a a slightest chance that you again be have some some combination of water and <clears throat> excuse me some combination of water and soap you had a you know a sign blaring. Well, at least we did down here in Victoria had a sign blaring at you as you know, how long you should wash your hands for and what the correct way to wash them was. Uh, so even even when you know that long after it was known that it was airborne, it was still um, a thing of this is what you should be doing in order to uh, t- to combat it. So it uh, look it just yeah. it just struck me that it was. 
that it that it was sort of yet another thing of sort of oh yeah okay well we weren't right about that we weren't right about that but you know we're this is this is sort of what the advice is now whereas at one stage it was almost like uh yeah people would be you know castigated and shunned if they hadn't done the the 20 seconds of of washing or even questioned it yeah i think it's i think it's this is one of those this is definitely one of those situations where it's it's hard to change the messaging once more information comes up. But like you said, the, the messaging continued even after they knew it was airborne because, quite frankly, if they just said, oh, don't worry about that anymore, you know, people get confused because there's a lot of people that still don't really fully understand how a lot of this stuff works mm. um, from, from a health point of view. So they just, you know, is it going to hurt you to brush, to, to wash your hands for 20 seconds and, uh, and sanitize your hands wherever you go, but you know, before you eat. No, of course it's not. Um, if anything, it's it's you know better for you. They stay to do that just for like cold and flu and influenza and all that kind of stuff, which you know is quite prevalent this time of year in in yep. down under. So, I think this like you know, the last thing that uh, Professor Blakely said was getting that balance right is. Ricky, and I think that is a huge, huge understatement. That getting the balance right in any of these things is is the golden ticket. You know that that's what matters ultimately. And you know, uh, Victoria obviously had a very heavy COVID response, uh, and it was also affected the worst out of anywhere in Australia. Um, whereas up in sunny old Queensland, maybe it's just because we have a lot more sun up here. Oh, I don't know. Mm. Um, we were, you know, reasonably, uh, not untouched, but, but m much, much less impacted by it. Um, I think it's because Queensland's absolutely freaking huge and we're all spread out all over the place. So, um, yeah. The city of Brisbane was a bit of a different story, but the rest of Queensland was reasonably untouched. But you know, by contrast of say Victoria or or other parts of the world, of course, as well. Um, but I think there's probably a lot of these uh, experts that are looking around now at how how sort of blasé we all are about it, and we haven't learned anything, you know, because um, there will be another pandemic eventually, right? Um, yeah. And like I said, you can't be running around forcing people to do things they don't want to do constantly because when something really serious does happen, which it will eventually, uh, those people, it's that, like I said, the boy that cried wolf, right? Those people aren't going to listen because they're not interested in what you're saying because you're always saying this crap. So... This is that trying to get that balance balance right. But honestly, I never wear a mask when I go out, uh, when I get on public transport, uh, when I was at the footy. I don't, I don't wear a mask in any of those places. I do sanitize my hands, especially before I eat. Uh, but again, it's not really... To be fair, in, in I don't do that specifically for COVID-19. I do that more for um, just like COVID and flu type stuff. Um yep. Yep, Just, look, I did that even before the coof. You know, there was I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sort of a fanatic hand sanitizer, but you know, I always had uh hand sanitizer in the, the car and you know, to yeah. be honest, if I was if if I was look, if I went if I, if I went down to the the shops and I'm I I do my, my shopping 
I'm getting stuff out of the mailbox. Um, I'm using the m- machine and the, the keypads and go to the ATM. When I got back in the car, I would generally give a bit of a, you know, a bit of a hand sanitize uh, because I thought, well, one, it didn't hurt, and two, you know, I've touched a whole lot of, of surfaces. I didn't, yeah, if I if I forgot about it, I wouldn't sort of, wouldn't get that concerned, but it was something that I did pre pre all this stuff anyway because I think there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, it's, it's a reasonably good chance that you're stopping yourself during cold and flu season like it is at the, the moment. Exactly. And and honestly, like, sometimes when I'm out in the wild, you just look around at other people and you go, oh, that's, that guy's gross. <laughs> I don't, I don't oh, want to touch. I don't want to touch something he just touched. <laughs> um, oh God, I have the same same thoughts. Or you're going you're going down one aisle, and you've got some, you've got some little coughing and spluttering petri dish coming towards you, being dragged along behind the trolley, and like. Big wide open mouth, coughing. I'm thinking, oh, for God's sake, yeah, you sort of hold your breath. And I think, yeah, definitely been putting a bit of sanitizer on after I go past this little monster. Exactly. And as uh, when when I go pick my daughter up from daycare, the same thing. They all the other kids <laughs> run up to you to say good day, coughing and spluttering, you know, runny noses and all that, and you're just like, ew, disgusting. <laughs> so it's not just for COVID, but like I said, oh. I don't, I don't. Um, I don't wear a mask unless I'm specifically asked. So I do have a couple of masks in the car. Um, There are a few places that still, you know, uh, up until very recently, my doctor's office would still ask you to put a mask on. Um, And I don't specifically have a problem with that um, because, you know, there is a lot of older people in the community that are going to these places. Um, And especially if you're going to the doctor's office because you've got the flu or something like that, it's kind of a dick move, really, to everyone else that's in that doctor's office or is going to be there later today. Not, not to mention your doctor that's sitting right there as well. So, n- not that I really do go to the doctor for if I've got a cold or a flu, but you know what I mean. As yeah, an example, yeah. um, so I think I'll be a little bit more mindful in the future, probably about those things. About if I am really under the weather, but I do have to go to the shops, maybe then I'll wear a mask or something like that. I do see some old people out and about um, that do have masks on day to day. Um, but yeah, it's not something I'm going to do. And some of these other things like where is the air filtration system in your pub or, or, or other locations? I don't know. I don't really care. I'm young enough no. that you know, the, the, the pandemic didn't specifically affect me, which people say, oh, well, that's a bit selfish. But really, you know, if you are worried about air filtration systems in your local uh, pub or supermarket or something like that, then I'm being selfless by giving you the opportunity to be closer to those things because I don't care about it. So um, I didn't get COVID-19. Most other people in my house did, but I didn't. Uh, or, or at least not that I know of. I may, I might be one of those people that's a carrier, and I just went around spreading it everywhere. I'm not really <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, we all think that the COVID nineteen is over. It's not. It's still here. It's still among us. It will be probably forever. Um, but let us know what sort of uh, COVID nineteen specific. Uh, 
things that you still do, uh, habits that you still have that maybe you'll never get rid of them. Maybe you'll only do it while COVID is so prevalent still in our society. Mm. But if you do, um, we'd love to hear about it. Get in touch with us on the r slash Australian subreddit. Otherwise, I think it's time for our two ticks town talk. All right. This week's two ticks town talk is Tennant Creek in Northern Territory. Now, that's Tennant Creek's, uh, what have we got, 377 metres above sea level, uh, which sort of surprised me a bit given where it is. Uh, 25k south of where the Stewart and Barclay highways meet and it's a 508k just to place it it's 500 about 500k north of alice alice springs and uh roughly a thousand k south of darwin so smack bang um well it's not quite in the middle but it's you know not sort of super far off probably about a third down uh it's one of the Northern Territory's four important towns, uh, the others being like Alice, uh, I keep saying Alice, Alice Springs, Tennant Creek, um, Catherine and Darwin, uh, which you know, get described as substantial towns. Uh, Tennant Creek's got a stable population of about 3,000. Which is, which is very small. The Territory doesn't have a lot of people in it, really. No. No, exactly. It's it, it is a it, well, it is a, a small town. Uh, got its name from an explorer, John McDougall Stewart, during his 1960 uh, ex expedition. Uh, he named Tennant Creek. Uh, he named the Creek Tennant to honour his friend and sponsor, John Tennant, um, who was a, a South Australian pastoralist and politician uh and did you say 1960 or 1860 i said 1860 yeah oh, okay. oh well so hang on i hope i said 1860 <laughs> we'll have to play that back because i was like hang on <laughs> yeah. yeah well maybe I, maybe i did say 1960 <laughs> i'll edit, edit in john mcstewart during his 1860 expedition <laughs> cd card did get it right i control the auditing <laughs> Uh, two reasons I picked it, you know, we sort of with the two ticks town talk, just have like have a little bit of interest thing. Uh, there's two reasons for picking it. It was the Overland Telegraph and Australia's last gold rush. The Overland Telegraph, where they ran a line for telegraphs basically from the top to the bottom of Australia and uh, then across the other capitals. Uh, that was in 1872. It passed through the area and there was a temporary telegraph station repeater station built uh and this was where the settlement started uh, a couple sorry go on. oh no that's interesting yeah 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 a couple of years later stone building was finished and settlers moved in to the district uh that station which still stands is one of only four existing overland telegraph stations and it's 11k to the north of the town and that was something Something to do with the fact of the land they were granted was something like 10 or 11 Ks for the telegraph line, so you couldn't build the town any closer to the actual station. So that's why it wasn't just sort of next door. 
Uh, it's currently a museum, as, <laughs> as you would expect. Not that many. I, I was just thinking, not that many telegrams sent. I don't know if you can even send one anymore. Were you, were you, were you ever alive where you could get a telegram? I, I actually think telegrams are still used under very specific circumstances, like for legal reasons. Um, but I don't think they're used very much anymore. So I think today, if you really wanted to, I think you could still go to to Western Union or something and send a telegram. But I don't think it travels. I think it goes through the internet. I don't think it's. Oh, I'd imagine. So. Yeah. I'd imagine so. It goes through and gets printed out. Yeah, there's not not someone yeah. someone with that little uh, peaked cap on there, <laughs> dit, 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 behind <laughs> yeah. the yeah, and yelling yeah. out, signalling more stop, code. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a romantic as an idea as that might be. Uh, and the other one was Australia's last great gold rush. And there's been a couple of uh, you know, uh, excitement about gold since then, but not an actual thing that you call a gold rush where people go i've got to get there so that was the story with that one there was there was gold sort of discovered there uh in 1926 uh and a couple of discoveries after that but it wasn't until 1932 there was a telegraph operator woody woodford uh he got some assistance from a local aboriginal community and one uh bloke frank uh japola brought Woodford a lump of black ironstone containing specks of gold. And this uh, was apparently a major discovery because usually gold's only been found in quartz and it got prospectors to start looking in the hills to the south of the telegraph station, which were capped with ironstone. And they got some really impressive results. The gold in the ironstone was sufficient to yield up to 1.2 kilograms per tonne in prompting Australia's last great gold list. That's a lot of gold per tons uh, per ton. I think you know you get uh, modern modern mining, and if you can if you can get around the um, you know fifteen to you know sixty seventy grams per ton, you've got a very you know a, a very good chance of making that uh, financial financially sound mine so to get 1200 grams per ton that's yeah. a pretty good effort that is cool tenant creek is somewhere i've i definitely want to go um it, it is it is quite yep. a common stop off if you're going from um alice springs basically north there's not there's not a huge like you said there's not a huge amount of places to stop in the territory it's it's outback it's desert and one thing i do know and and part of the reason i want to go to tenant creek uh and i'm sure it's not the only place uh, probably even in the territory that you can go do this but they have a golf course there uh that is huh. there's no grass <laughs> it's just dirt um which yeah, is very unusual you know for a golf course you think uh you know you, you think of manicured lawns and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but at Tenon Creek, the golf course is um, just dirt. <laughs> it's a desert is course. That, is that the one that, oh, God, you're, you're making my mind go back many years and that the, the actual uh, greens, they, they've got like, is it tar or 
This, oh, oh. Yeah, I think it's like bitumen, bitumen or, or something. something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, the the greens, yeah, are like yeah, like like a bitumen surface, like a road surface, huh. uh, as far as I'm aware. And um, I don't know. I think it would just be really a really different course to play on. I, I don't think it's I don't think oh, it's particularly do you large. Think so? <laughs> yeah, it would be very unusual. Um <laughs> I don't think it's uh I don't think it's a particularly challenging course or anything like that, other than the fact that there is no grass. So it can be a bit unpredictable in that way. Um but you know just for a laugh it would be a bit of fun I think. Um so that means you'd be going around the whole time with your with your, your pitching wedge or it's not with a, with a, with, a with a, take a full set of clubs mate just strap into the top of the ute yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah if once you get there once you arrive you travel around australia with your with your golf clubs uh yeah you'd bet i i imagine yeah you'd have to go around uh the entire golf course <laughs> with, with a sandwich basically um yeah, yeah no. Ah, oh, just be something different, something fun. Well, it would. It, it, well, that was that's. I didn't have that down as a place of interest. The other, the other, the other places of interest there were apparently there's a lot of beef cattle grazing that countryside. Um, it, it's the town's a service centre for the cattle stations around the place, and the tourist distra- attractions are Kalu Kalu, which are the devil's marbles. It's a group of granite boulders which are up to uh, six meters high, 20, 20 feet in the the old money, and another granite formation, a sacred Aboriginal site called Kanjara, also known as the the Pebbles. And as you've now said it too, the the golf course. And there was two stories that I I enjoyed with about some original locals. One was uh. Uh, Mrs. Weber, who is wife of the blind owner of the Rising Sun Mine, which was a rich gold mine in the district before World War II. Uh, where's it? Miss Weber, M- Mrs. Weber, or it might be Weber. It's W E A B E R. Uh, Mrs. Weber, a devout Catholic, paid for the old church at Pine Creek to be transported to Tennant Creek Plank by by establishing the Tennant Creek Catholic Church, and she also started the Tennant Creek Christmas Tree event. When in the early 1930s, she held a party at her husband's gold mine and gave all every child on the gold field a present. And oh, apparently, cool. yeah, apparently that apparently, and I'll underline apparently. Uh, I th- can't remember if that one was from Wikipedia. Pedia, Britannica.com or Aussie Towns, whichever one. But apparently uh, her generosity continues into the present day and every year the town erects a public Christmas tree and gives every child, whether they're local or a visitor, a present. So, yeah. That's, that's cool. A nice, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a nice little uh, tradition. And finally, the other uh, one of notice was Cecil Armstrong. Now, he was a man who made a contribution to the early development of Tennant Creek. Uh, he arrived in April 1935 and began baking bread the next day, uh, which is bloody keen. Arrive with arrive yeah, that's with committed. Oven. Oh, jeez. Oh, bloody oath. That's, that's incredibly committed. Then uh, two years later, he built Armstrong's Bakery and Cafe, where he lived and worked for more than 20 years as a baker and cafe proprietor. The building is apparently still there today under a different uh, guise. Now, here, I'll give you a guess. What was Cecil's telephone number? 
13? One. Oh, really? <laughs> the first what, what, what one. Was I, was thinking, I was thinking it was like a baker's dozen. It was like a, oh, a baker's oh, thing, right? Oh, that would, oh, God, that would have been. That's what he should have picked, 13. Yeah. <laughs> but. Oh, that would have been a nice little twist. But, <laughs> and what was his P.O. box? One, I guess. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was the most important man in town. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting story with the, the locals. So yeah, it serves as a serves as uh, today. It still serves as a uh, thing for people coming across to the NT from uh, Queensland with the the Stuart and Barclay Highways meeting. So yeah, that is the two ticks town talk for this week, Tennant Creek. That's cool, very Ooh. cool. And keeping in the territory, something that is also very cool is every year on the 1st of July, Darwin explodes, pun intended, into chaos as sparks light up the sky. Territory Day celebrations kick off for five hours where locals can let off fireworks to their heart's content. This year, 228 tonnes of fireworks have been imported and people will be will detonate them with very few rules and regulations. Fireworks can only be bought between 9am and 9pm on the 1st of July with Territorians permitted to detonate them between 6 and 11pm. I do like that there's an overlap between when you can, there's a three-hour overlap where you can detonate them and (laughs) still buy them, which is a bit, (laughs) bit of fun. Um, if you let them all off too early, you can run back and get some more. Um, you've got some diehard fans spending upwards of $2,000, but we estimate the average spend will be about $250 to $300, says, uh, Luke, I think it's Cardi, Director of Wholesale Fusion Fireworks. That's down on last year's spending just because of uh, cost of living pressures. He says, my highlight of Territory Day is seeing the five and six-year-olds, the smiles on their faces. He's been selling fireworks for 20 years. The annual fireworks free-for-all takes place just as the Northern Territory enters its bushfire season. With bushfires in the Northern Territory declared the start of the fire danger period just four days prior to Territory Day. Last year, New South Wales, uh, sorry, Northern Territory Police, Fire and Emergency Services received more than a thousand emergency calls over the course of the night, responding to 231 grass fires, 14 rubbish bin fires, 13 structure fires, and 34 road crashes, six vehicle fires, and one fatal pedestrian collision. Each year we see people sustain serious injuries from fireworks on Territory Day, said Dr. Deedler Palmer, Director of Emergency at Royal Darwin and Palmerston Hospitals. Over the past four Territory Days, 101 people went to hospital for injuries caused by fireworks, which included severe facial and hand burns, visual impairment and hearing loss. Alex Bowden, 23, suffered burns to his bum 
in 2012 <laughs> after inserting a spinning bee firework in his anus and lighting it. He then attempted to pull it out and suffered further burns to three of his fingers. Look, you and I have both both been 23, so we can we can understand at the time what a what an incredible incredible idea good idea that would have would have been and how you would have just reasoned it out and thought no this is this is going to be hilarious but with, with a little bit of distance you sort of look back and think how is that ever going to be a good idea no it's never a good idea however <laughs> if i was there I would tell Alex that it was a good idea and that he oh, should do no. it so so that I could – I wouldn't do it myself, but I would be cheering it on. I'd hold his drink for him while he did it. I, I imagine alcohol was a contributing factor in that instance. Oh, oh I'd, have to, I'd have to put a lot of money on that. Unfortunately, in 2009, a firecracker landed inside a pram and wedging itself between the back and the arm of baby Brody Stubbs and then subsequently exploded, leading to multiple surgeries and eight months' worth of burns treatment. But despite the dangers, cracker night is largely a cherished tradition. The day has become synonymous with the Territory's Wild West character, a place that escaped the regulated environment of the rest of the country. However, Territory Day was a couple of days ago, so this year, emergency services responded to nearly 100 incidences over the night with a 23-year-old, something about 23-year-olds, man, (laughs) 23-year-old man's arm being severed below the elbow. And a second man in his 50s was hit by shrapnel. What are the odds that that's father and son? Both were taken to hospital in a serious condition, and the 23-year-old has been taken to surgery overnight. 23-year-old... Sorry, was there details on how that was related to Kraken night, or did it just happen to happen on the night? From what I understand, it was fireworks related. However, shrapnel with fireworks, what I think, and again, this is complete speculation... This is completely speculation, but what I suspect these two men have done is essentially built a bomb out of fireworks. Um, it's, it's pretty unusual to have your arm literally blown off by yeah. fireworks. You know, they don't make fireworks that big, generally speaking. So I suspect, you know, and being hit with shrapnel from a mm. firework? Nah, I think these guys thought it would be a really good idea to put them all in like an old LPG bottle or something like that and it's yeah. blown up. Um, the 23-year-old remains in a serious condition while the second man is in a serious but stable condition. Both of them are at Royal Darwin Hospital. Uh, that's according to Northern Territory Health. So I, I couldn't get any more information um, about that, though I did find out that the 23-year-old man's arm uh, that had been severed, the the severed part of the arm, was taken to hospital in hope that they could reattach it, though I don't know if that was successful or not. I haven't seen a follow-up. However, Territory Day isn't just about blowing things up. Uh, The day actually marks the beginning of self-government. Everything was tightly controlled by the Commonwealth Government, said Paul Everingham, the Territory's first Chief Minister in 1978. You couldn't buy land apart from once a year at a government auction. Self-government 
gave the Northern Territory control over its own affairs with Mr. Everingham saying his government immediately set about to establish a university, a museum, an art gallery, and a develop for the developing tourism. Until the 1980s, Kraken Nights were celebrated all over Australian states and territories. The, digit, blah, blah, blah. the tradition derives from the United Kingdom celebration of Guy Fawkes Day, which dates back to the 1605 and the failed plot to blow up the House of Lords, called the gun, Gunpowder Plot, kill King James I and re-establish Catholic rule in England. The capture and execution of the conspirators is celebrated with parades, fireworks, bonfires, and the burning of effigies of Fawkes himself. While the other Australian states banned Krakenites in the 1980s for safety reason, the ACT continued to sell fireworks until 2009. Now, Northern Territory is the only place you can get it. Mm. Um, it brought back memories of childhood, said Mr. Troutback after experiencing his first Territory Day last year. I'm sure it did. I have a little bit of experience with Guy Fawkes Day in New Zealand. I was in New Zealand one time for for Guy Fawkes Day uh, and Guy Fawkes Night. And it's basically the same thing, right? You're just sitting off uh, fireworks and and having a good time and a big celebration and all that kind of stuff. Um, You, you You can buy them without any problem over there. I don't know. This was when I was much, much younger. I don't know if it has been regulated. I'm not. I'm not really sure. So, any Kiwis right. that are listening, feel free to um, let us know how regulated it is over there these days. You know, as much as it pains me that we can't do this, I do see why it's pe- people. You know. Uh, that blow their arms off that, that are the problem. Most people do the right thing, but a few people don't. And unfortunately, you know, living in uh, a continent that's ready to burst into flame at any moment, um, fireworks just don't seem like a great idea, really. Uh, yeah, but look, fireworks I, is so much fun. So, I, Look, to, to me, overall, the cost of injuries is worth it. Yeah, there's... Plenty of dangerous things that happen out there. I'm not saying that it's fun and games. The people who are injured, you know, the little kids and babies. I mean, that's you know, it's a bit bit harder to to be sort of a bit more blasé about it. However, in terms of in terms of the celebration, in terms of just the sheer enjoyment and excitement, uh, I come down heavily on the. The cost of injuries. For me, it's it, it's it. not it's not the injuries specifically. It's the the bushfire risk is really what I care about. Look, if, if there's a bushfire risk, I can guess. I I, I get that. Yeah, I can I can understand uh, that. But yeah, you know, I would think well, that's covered by the same sort of rules that would be uh, covering open open fires. So yeah, you know, I think yeah. you can, I think you can cover it with that without necessarily, you know, having yet another sort of suppression by by government. Uh, yeah, to me, there's a, there's a sort of sense of there's a, a sense of of freedom about it. Um, yeah, I'd love I'd still love to go out and buy some some firecrackers. The last time I got crackers was uh, when I was in, uh, my brother was living in in Canberra and. 
that was, well, from what you said in your information there, it must have been pre-2009. Uh, well, God, it had to be. Um, and I remember going into the store and the, I said, yeah, I want to get some firecrackers. And the guy said, okay, you have to fill out this form. So I'm going through the form and said, so, "We are doing ten leaf, you know, letting off the crackers or all of the the fireworks within Canberra." I said, "No," because I thought I was going to take some home. Do you attend doing this? I'm saying, "No, no, no." And I think, "Okay, well, I'm answering the the form." And I gave it to him, and he sort of glanced down at, looked at it, and he looked at me and he said, "Let me help you with the form." <laughs> yeah, yeah, sc- yeah. Screwed uh... it up, and he said. <laughs> Yes, you do intend it. I said, oh, okay, righty, and I got that. But when we got got there, and I bought more fireworks than I bought before, it was just, it was just heaven. And had almost finished, and he looked at me and said, "And so, what are you going to do for the finale?" I said, oh. "I said, what, what do you mean?" <laughs> that's how he, he upsells you. Yeah. Yeah. He did. And I said, "What do you suggest?" And he reached under. And he picked it, brought out this firework that must have been two feet high and about uh, you know, 15 centimetres thick in this rocket-shaped thing. He said, I'd wow. suggest this. And I said, yeah. <laughs> it was just, I can't remember how much it cost. It was way more than what I expected, but I thought <laughs> the chance of being able to let that off. Well, and it was. It, it was spectacular. But we we did take we we took it back to took it back to my brother's place and my wife and my brother's girlfriend were sitting on the uh, veranda watching me and my brother just go mad with these crackers and at one point he didn't put um, a rocket into the ground and it went zooming off into our our box of fireworks and both oh. of us dived on this thing and threw it off. And there was, you know how you just get those little moments of silence where you can you can just hear somebody saying something. I heard my wife whisper to um, his girlfriend, this is why we live longer than them. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. She's oh, she not wrong co- at all. Yeah, she was completely on on point. So, look, I think it's it's great to hear that uh, Northern Territory still have a, a crack of night. I envy them. Yeah. I do. And unfortunately, I do think this is one of those ones that in years come will probably be banned um, because whilst it is all fun and games, unfortunately, a few people decide to make homemade bombs with them and, you know, or, or you get one real bad bushfire that's brought on because of it and that kind of ruins it for everyone, you know. Yeah. Um, as it always, as it always does. Interestingly, uh, of course, this is uh, in reference to to Guy Fawkes Day. Uh, the term "guy," like "Hey guys," uh, is actually come that comes from Guy Fawkes Day. It's named oh, after Guy it. Fawkes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that surprises so, me. This, yeah, a little bit of a tangent, but uh, yeah, the the word "guy." And guys is um, one of those uh, because people used to burn, and they still sort of do in England. I think they they would make like an effigy of Guy Fawkes and then put him and burn him and everything. And so you'd have these these guys uh, all grouped up, and then it kind of became in the common vernacular as a you know as for a person. Uh, and I think it's a 
reasonably gender neutral term these days. Um, but yeah, so because of Guy Fawkes, oh. uh, we have the word guy in our common vernacular. Oh, interesting bit of history. An interesting bit of history, but please tell me some more interesting history. I've come from a la, 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 la. This week in Australian history, uh, we're covering June 29th to July the 5th. So starting off June 29, 1888 is the birth date of Melbourne gangster Squizzy Taylor. Uh, Well-known name in the the, uh, Australian crime scenes uh, that people would recognise. 1942, uh, General Thomas Blaney reorganises the army for the defence of Australia. Um, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what he did with reorganising it. I don't know whether you, I know you're you're a navy. Um, yeah, so. I, I think it basically makes reference to the fact that in World War Two prior to nineteen forty two, our army had been serving as an expeditionary force overseas in North Africa and things like that. Uh, Whereas once the Japanese had really pushed their way through, it became apparent that they may continue further. So the army was basically reorganised in that respect to fight for the defence of Australia, not for the defence of the empire. So uh, I think that's what they're making reference to. I figured you'd know that one. Uh, June 30th, on 1922, the Industrial Court of Appeal rejected the concept, excuse me, rejected the concept of equal pay for women, um, which... Oh, I don't know when that's changed. Maybe we'll have to. It's a bit rough. That's, yeah. oh. that's uh, yeah. so. Hopefully, another um, week this week in Australian history, we'll we'll find out when that was uh, find out when that was uh, rectified. Nineteen thirty-four, the Commonwealth rejects Western Australia's case for secession. I think we've discussed WA trying to secede in a previous episode. Um, we have, yeah, yeah. 1941, HMAS Water Hen sinks off Libya, and that was the first Australian uh, naval vessel to be lost in uh, World War II. Yeah, uh, she was yeah. Uh, dive-bombed by uh, uh, Stuka for our right. World War II uh, you know, aircraft uh, aficionados. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of sad. It was a it was a destroyer. No, I mean it was largely obsolete probably by World War Two. It was built in World War One, but um, right. Uh, there is a uh, naval base HMS Waterhen in um, Sydney Harbour that is named after the ship. So it's just yeah. one of those one of those unfortunate things. Um, that happened in the North African campaign. You know, one of those little snippets of war that otherwise is kind of forgotten, so. Yeah, not the most fearsome name, but yeah. No, no, it's not. Australian. The Australian Navy does this. They don't. The <laughs> British Navy is really good with names. The Australian Navy is not so great. Yeah, that's true. I remember looking at the HMAS Quail. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see that, but it just it's got that sort of name to it. The coolest uh, name we had was the HMAS Vampire, which was cool. But it was a British ah, ship before it came to Australia, and, and it was transferred yeah. with its name. That's why. So, ah, yeah, that's interesting. 
1972, on June 30th, the Ord River Irrigation Scheme in WA is Western Australia is uh, officially opened by Prime Minister Billy McMahon. And then we go to Ord River Irrigation Scheme is one of those ones that it always sounds like it should have more promise than what it actually is. That might look that might be another one that we uh, discuss at uh, another um, episode of Australia Talks. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just, it seems to have a, an interesting history. It's it's a big piece of infrastructure. Yep. I'm sure it'll pop up in the news one day and then we can really get into the nitty-gritty. Yeah, look, g- good point. Probably will. July 1st, this was, a, this was a jam-packed day. God, how this week, this was a huge one. So I'll scoot through them. 1851, Victoria becomes a separate colony. 1932, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Commission, is inaugurated by Prime Minister Joseph Lyons. Uh, 1949, John Farnham, Australian singer, is born. Uh, 1970, Melbourne Airport is opened at Tullamarine in Victoria. Uh, And it's still not got a rail connection. It's it's over 50 years old and it's... (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I think we did talked about that too in a previous episode. We did. We did. That was last episode. I was oh, that was about last it then. episode, I'm, was it? I'm still not over it. <laughs> <laughs> still no rail. 1975, Medibank is introduced. Uh, Australia Post and Telecom are formed from the Postmaster General's Department. I remember that, seeing the new logo and, and everything. and. But it still pretty much stayed true to those logos, um, in, in essence. Uh, I had some stamps on them when I, when I used to sort of collect stamps. Uh, yeah. yeah. 1978, the Northern Territory. Still valuing a bit more freedom up there based on that story <laughs> we heard before. Uh, 83, the High Court blocks construction of the Franklin Dam in Tasmania, in the Tasmania Tasmanian Dams case. Uh, 1986, fringe, fringe benefits tax is introduced. Oh, I just love having those extra taxes in there. Yum, yum, yum. Mm. Uh, 1996, the Northern Territory legalizes voluntary euthanasia, uh, which it would be repealed by a conscience vote in the federal parliament in 1997. Uh, and so for people uh, listening in and wondering why the federal parliament gets to essentially nullify the Northern Territory, because it's a territory and not a state, uh, some of that legislation can actually be um, overridden overridden by the federal parliament because it's, it's not as independent as, say, you know, the state of Western Australia or, or Victoria. It's still a, it's still a territory, so there's uh, still some control with the bureaucrats in Canberra. 1997 deregulation of the telecommunications market, allowing the entry of competitors other than Telstra and Optus. That was a big thing. You know, it's uh, people forget this. Well, it's not that long ago, but you know, it used to be just you know, which of those two do you want to go to? And now you. I mean. I feel like it. I feel like it still kind of is, um, because 
Yeah, we have other companies, obviously, in Australia, but the, the major infrastructure is owned by the two of those. Yeah. Um, just because it's huge. Like, how the hell do you create a mobile network in a country this big that's with so few people, you know? Um, a lot of government assistance, basically. <laughs> well, look, that's true. Yeah. Um, and rounding out July 1st in 2000, uh, just because we don't have enough taxes, a 10% goods and services tax is introduced for most goods and services. Um, so, and what a nightmare that was. What a nightmare there was a, that was. There was a brief period in time, I remember going to like a fish and chip shop and there was like, you know how they put all the prices on the board? Yep. And it, instead of replacing them, they just put plus GST next to everything <laughs> with like a sticker. <laughs> and so we're all standing there like reading and going, oh, well, hang on, now i got to work it out. You know, like, oh, it was a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. There was a bit of, bit of that sort of stuff going on. So, Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, as I said, another, another tax that was meant to remove a whole lot of other taxes and didn't. But anyway, we're in the Australian history, not the political commentary about what the little gun thief Johnny Howe did. July 2nd, 18, <laughs> <laughs> 1858, uh, possible birth date of King o- I like that, <laughs> the possible birth date, but I suppose one of the, of King O'Malley. One of the more colourful characters in the early federal period of Australian political history claimed to have been born in in Canada, which had made him a British subject. Uh, If he was born in Vermont, as was most likely, he would have been ineligible for a seat in Australian Parliament. Now, I just recognise the name. I don't know a lot about his shenanigans, but I do... Yeah, King O'Malley just has that... um, well, they said colourful character. I don't know if you know much about him at, at all, but uh, I certainly no, know not not much at all. I, I'm I'm sure I've been to a pub called King O'Malley, but other than that, yeah. I I think it was an Irish pub. But other than that, I don't I don't really know much about him himself. So, yeah. uh, July third in 1947, forty seven sugar rationing ended following World War Two, and in nineteen eighty nine, the Fitzgerald inquiry into possible illegal possible illegal activities and associated police misconduct conduct in Queensland ends that was a big one Fitzgerald mm. inquiry yeah and rightfully so yeah. we might need another yeah. one of them it, well, yep yep might might be better just to have these scheduled regularly for around the the country <laughs> just just have a court move round and you know, say okay well it's you know, we we find your corruption out you can do the odd years you can do the even years uh, <laughs> July 4th 1969 3000 protesters against the Vietnam war rally outside the US consulate so there are 3000 protesters against the Vietnam war uh, who rally outside the US consulate in Melbourne. Uh, seems the public's sort of been sold on accepting wars since then, though I suppose the lack of conscription is probably a big factor. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 1986, after 10 years in power, Neville Wren, Neville Wren resigns as the Premier of New South Wales and is replaced by Barry Unsworth. Uh, 1991, Chinese-Australian heart surgeon Victor Cheng was murdered in Sydney. That's a freaking 
I think loss in more ways than one, not for only for his family, but also for people who could have benefited from his his um his skills. Um 2002, American Steve Fawcett completes his solo balloon navigation of the world, landing in Durham Downs in Queensland. And I still don't I remember that. Yeah. Balloons navigating. I remember that. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I didn't realize he landed in Queensland. I don't know. But now that I'm thinking about that, I don't know why I wouldn't have known that. I don't know. Do you know where Durham Downs is? No. Let me Google it. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I, I don't recognize the place at all. But, oh, it's out near yeah. Roma. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. Ah, right. Yeah. It's in the, yeah. Which, which would make sense that he's aiming for, you know, a. a the middle of the desert, basically. Middle of the outback. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, it had a population as of 2016 census of 67 people. Huh. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, yeah. That's a pretty impressive effort, though. Solo balloon navigation around the world. Yeah. 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 Bloody oath. Yeah. All right. Bring us home with July 5th. 1900, the Commonwealth of Australia Constitution Act, UK, brackets, uh, passed and it received royal assent on the 9th. Uh, 1905, Alfred Deakin becomes the Prime Minister of Australia for the second time. Uh, And 1945, John Curtin, PM of Australia, died while in office. 1980, Yvonne Goolagong. Uh, defeats Chris Evert to win her second women's single title. I remember that was a big deal. Um, yeah. Yeah, she was she, a bloody good player, Yvonne Goolagong. Cool name too. It That's a really a fun word to say, Goolagong. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it is. Uh, 1985, Justice Lionel Murphy of the High Court is convicted of perverting the course of justice. Um. 2001, Australia and newly independent East Timor signed the Timor Gap Treaty. Uh, 2004, Australia and Thailand signed a free trade agreement and finishing it off in 1851 and sort of tying it in somewhat with uh, Tennant Creek, but across the country, James Esmond announces the discovery of gold at Clunes in Victoria leading to the start of the Victorian gold rush. So that rounds out this week in Australian history. That's cool. Well, thank you so much. It might be time for a beer. So in Australian slang... I should say, this is a 4X bottle top question. But I've actually cheated. I didn't have a bottle of 4X. I had a can of 4X. And they don't print the questions on the cans, unfortunately. Uh, So I used, uh, I did a bit of of Googling, a bit of research. uh, And I have come up with a, a pretty good question. I actually didn't know this, so this is a bit fun. Well, I sort of did, but I didn't. But anyway, I'll ask you. A genuine, a sh- uh, you Googled, you Googled <laughs> and found a genuine Forex bottle top d- question. No, this is just a random one. Oh. Uh, this is just a, a bit of Australian trivia, if you like. Uh, okay. In 
In Australian slang, what is a Matilda? What is a Matilda? What's a Matilda? And I'll give you a hint. If you can think of the lyrics of waltzing Matilda. Just, yeah. What is he referring to when he's calling? What does he call Matilda? It's not a person. Um, God, I should know this. I know this. As soon as I tell you, you're going to go. Yeah. uh, You'll call waltzing. Oh, God, because it's, it's not the sheep, is it? That's, that's no. the jumbuck. Um, it's Matilda. It's not alive. Is it his backpack? Yes. Like his swag? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh. So, oh, God, I could feel that sort of slowly <laughs> tapping me on the back of my slow little brain saying, you know this, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> so very good well done claps all around so yeah like a you know sometimes they'd call it like a bundle uh a bushman's bundle basically a a, a, a i don't want to say a bag but it was like a um the possessions of like a bushman or like a like a transient type worker the sort of thing you'd see like a blanket that's tied up, carried over the shoulder with a stick. Um, Mm. They would also sometimes call that a swag. Now, of course, today what we call a swag is very different from from that, but the etymology of the words are very similar. Um, In the US, I think they call it a bindle. Uh, It's the same, basically the same sort of thing. So if you can think, dear listeners, to, you know, that sort of uh, caricature picture in your mind of a a, a transient worker, or I think Americans like to call them hobos, um, with a stick over his shoulder with like a you know, a, a, a blanket attached to that stick or, or like a handkerchief or something like that. There's this stereotypical image that pops into mind, and that that's basically a Matilda, um, oh, good which question. is kind of cool. Good yeah. Question. I saw it pop up and I was like, oh, yeah, that, that like is that. what that is. So, all right, well... Thank you so much for joining us for another Australia Talks, the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. If you have any feedback or suggestions for topics, please get in touch with us on the r slash Australian subreddit or email us at Australian subreddit at proton.me. Otherwise, join us next week for another episode of Australia Talks. And remember, at r slash Australian, we are Australian. Good night. See you later, DK. Bye.